welcome to Tape to Tape, the best place to have all of your hockey news. I am Josh Berg alongside Evan Mead, and we've been wanting to do this for quite a while. We're finally talking some hockey, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited. 100%. You and I have talked about this for years. It's finally come to fruition as we are now officially doing our first podcast, and it's you're right. It's pretty exciting. You know, we've, we've been doing following the game of hockey for several years last really like three or four we've kind of dove like head first um thanks to the st louis blues success and bringing home a a cup to to st louis we kind of just dove head first fall in love with the game uh ever since we followed it casually before and but not really like in depth and now we're we're doing this podcast and we're both writing um for for some websites and following our dreams to becoming hockey journalists it's pretty cool yeah 100 percent. and on that note want to shout out the hockey writers if you want to check out any of our published work that's where to go for it we have a great team of writers over there definitely want to give those guys a shout out um and yeah with that being said you want to kick it off let's get started yeah, I mean, there's not really a better way to start the the podcast than with with a trade that happened yesterday. Um, crazy, uh, really ending of the the afternoon yesterday. Had some really good hockey games. Obviously, unfortunately, the St. Louis Blues fell to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but we had a trade where Chris Tanev is going to the Dallas Stars, and I'm going to try to break this trade down the best I can. It is a very confusing trade, uh, but I think I've got it broken down. Um, it's a three-team deal between the Stars, Flames, and New Jersey Devils. Dallas is receiving Chris Tannen from Calgary and goaltending prospect Cole Brady, who's currently the backup at University of Massachusetts. Uh, he's played like nine games, like an 8-6-6 per save percentage. I don't think he's going to be worth anything in the NHL. Um, I think he was just because Jersey is that third-team broker. I have to send something uh, in the deal. Um, and with that, when doing so, uh, they get Tanev at $1.125 million off of his $4.5 million contract. Uh, Calgary will get a 2024 second, additional 2026 third, and defensive prospect Artem Grushnikov. Uh, he was a 2021 uh, second-round pick. He was the pick right after a little bit of in that draft. Um, and the Calgary's also retaining 50% of Tanev's contract. And then New Jersey in that deal, they get a 2026 fourth from Dallas um, and are retaining uh, 50% of the remaining um, 2.25 that Calgary couldn't contain. Um, the conditions on that trade, on that third round pick in 2026, is if Dallas reaches the cup, then Calgary gets that pick. If they don't reach the cup, then it's just the second and crucial cup going to Calgary. Um, what's on the deal? Well, for starters, Let's back up to before the season and to give you guys a little bit of a inside scoop into Josh and I, every season before the first game of the NHL season kicks off, we always do predictions. The Dallas Stars for both of us were considered one of the best teams in hockey. Throughout the season, even with Ottinger not necessarily playing to the Vesna caliber that we both thought he would be this season, the Dallas Stars are still one of the top teams in hockey. They had Miro Heiskanen over there. They got Thomas Harley, who's been an absolute stud over there. I mean, people are not talking about him enough. What he's been able to accomplish in the offensive zone while being a stable piece in that defensive zone has been very, very impressive. Now they add a great defensive anchor and Chris Tanev, and that alone is just – it makes you question how, how good the Dallas Stars could really be. But the one thing that I think you and I can both agree upon is that GM over there it needs to be talked about more. Jim. 
Jim Neal. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at Dallas, the one weakness on the team was the back end, right? You obviously have that pairing of Harley and Heiskin, who have been really good. Heiskin's, you know, top three at minimum top five defensemen in the league. Um, he's truly a dynamic playmaker on offense, and he's been he's grown quite a bit on the defensive uh, end of the ice. Um, outside of those two, they've, they've kind of had some struggles in a revolving door. Suter's taken a step back. Hockett has been into that lineup with injuries. Uh, Issa Lindell's been solid this year. He's a good number, you no know, second line uh, defensive pairing. And in Chris Tanev as a defensive anchor. And I know casual NHL fans are going to look at him. Well, he's only got 14 points. That's not what Dallas are him in for. He is one of the best, if not the best, shutdown defensive defenseman in the entire league. He's got a plus uh, 16 on the year on the Calgary team that isn't all that great. They're Kind of got on the heater a little bit and got himself back in the playoff mark, but they're they're not a great hockey team. And he's got a hundred percent defensive efficiency rating according to Jay Fred. That's almost impossible. He is on an expiring deal that's getting him one point one two five million. And I think the interesting part of this deal is getting him at one point one two five is something that's underrated. People are talking about the captains now because they didn't bring Taylor two point. There's talk to them now. Going to see if they get Nick Steeler or Sean Walker with that extra two and a half minutes. They're going all in. And I think that Colorado game the other night where they got absolutely blown the doors off, lost five to one, was really an eye opener for them that they need to help on that back end. Tanev is going to be able to help slow down some of those high offenses in the Western Conference. Yeah. The one thing that we should recognize out of that loss as well, despite the fact that they were blown out, is that it's an in division rival that they just got blown out to, which at this stage, it's kind of a big deal. Now, the playoffs, we all know, is a different animal. Just because they were blown out in the regular season when you come with intensity, the you know the environment that the playoffs give you, it's going to be a completely different game. But getting some stable back in pieces like Chris Tanev and potentially going to Philly and getting Sean Walker or a sealer, you know, those are two very, very good defensive defensemen. Um, not to mention that they've actually produced in the offensive zone as well for Philly. Uh, those are two of the pieces that have, in terms of the Philadelphia Flyers organization as a whole, has over-succeeded what they should probably be at. Um, they've thrived in that organization playing under uh, Tortorella, and it could definitely be very interesting to see a guy like uh, Sealer or Walker end up over there to an already loaded defensive core. Yeah, I think Tanev really brings their defense to you know, an entirely new level and really secures their top four. Um, I do want to transition to Calgary. You know, Tan has been on the market really since the offseason, both him and Hannafin. There was, you know, Calgary is going to be basically be this year's version of the St. Louis Blues, where they're they're trading a lot of their expiring contracts. They want to enter kind of a retool rebuild, um, which they needed to really enter two years ago ever since the Goudreau to Chuck. But um, I, we heard all year that they wanted the first round pick of Chris Tanev. And you look at this this contract it is Grushnikov, a second and a conditional. What do you think Calgary's burn on the day? Because I personally am a little bit disappointed with what they got back. Absolutely. The me trading Chris Tanev on an expiring deal. Obviously Calgary didn't hold the power to make a big trade happen. When you when a player openly admits that he's not going to be resigning in a certain situation, he pretty much gets to determine where he's going to go. Because a team's not generally going to want to sign them unless it's a team like the Stars or the Knights where it's like, you're just going to go all in. But when you tell an organization that, you know, and it's in the media, so, you know, every team knows about it, that he's not going to resign, they're not going to overpay for this defenseman. And yet Calgary kind of had to make the deal anyways. But what I will say is, although I don't know much about this Grushnikov, 
Calgary does have a lot of pieces over there, regardless of if they have Chris Tanev or not. Rather, they have Noah Hannafin or not heading into next next season. Getting Kuzmenko was a bigger deal than I think a lot of people were giving credit for. Kuzmenko and his limited games over there has actually played really, really well. Not to mention their prospect pool with guys like Matthew Coronado. Uh, Zari has looked really good over there. Um, Huberto has actually really picked it up recently. He's got like 20 points in his last 20 games. He's played phenomenal. I don't know exactly what's going on over there, but this team is actually starting to, you know, gears are starting to turn. Look at Sharon Govich. Sharon Govich has been an absolute stud over there playing with Huberto. Maybe that's what it took to get Huberto going was connecting with uh, some of the younger guys like Sharon Govich. The return that they got, Yes, it maybe doesn't live up to the standard, but that team isn't necessarily out of the out of the question. They got a lot of good pieces over there heading into next season, regardless if they have Tanev or Hannafin. And if they keep Markstrom, that's a huge get in goalie because when Markstrom got going after a rough start to the season, his numbers have been superb. Yeah, he should be a Vezina candidate. Like 100%. I know we're talking about Heli Buck and Demko, and rightfully so. They've been insane this year. But Markstrom on a bad Calgary team. Um, at the start of the year, his numbers are in. I think he's at like a nine two seven or something like that. He's a, he's, he's been, been phenomenal. Um, as far as Grushnikov, I did a little bit of research on him. So he's a second round pick back in twenty twenty one. He is a stay at home defensive defenseman. He's got the size. I think he's like six two. Um, he's got like maybe nine points this year. So a lot of people are comparing him to a miniature Chris Tanev. I was going to say that's Chris Tanev. He is a defensive stay at home defenseman with great puck moving and skating ability. Um. Whether he becomes anything in the NHL, we're not 100 sure. I think he could be a bottom pairing guy. Um, Dallas Stars fans certainly weren't upset to like see him go. They were with the deep prospect pool they've got, not having to give up any of their top really five or six prospects. I think Grushnikov ranked ten on Scott Wheeler's athletic prospect uh, list for the Dallas Stars, so they didn't have to give up a top tier prospect. Um, but you know, if, if Calgary views him as like replacement for Chris Tannen as a defensive defenseman, I mean that's going to fill his role just fine. Um, and like like to touch on with Calgary, I still don't think this roster is great. But they, they're maximizing what they can get out of a lot of mid tier talent. Shared go played really well. Kuzmenko has played really well. They're going to have some decisions to make in the offseason. They still have great cap flexibility. Um, and obviously, yes, Markstrom, I think, is going to stick around this year, but I think he's probably going to get dealt in the offseason where more teams have cap flexibility and cap space to potentially acquire him. Uh, but I think that uh, Craig Conroy over there is building this team in the right direction after uh, Brad Trillin kind of made some questionable calls in his, in his tenure in Calgary before leaving for Toronto. Yeah. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. That team, maybe they don't have the best pieces. They probably do deal Markstrom. Now, trading him or keeping him at the trade deadline, to me, is a bit of a questionable move because right now at the market for goaltenders – Yes, there are a lot of goaltenders available, but a team would overpay a crap ton right now for a guy who's been as hot as Jacob Markstrom. I think the issue is a $6 million cap hit. And Calgary, with retaining on Tanev, only has two more retained slots, and they're probably going to have to retain on Hannafin, which means they only have one more retained spot. And with Markstrom having term, if you're retaining, then you're retaining for the next two years after that on his contract. I think if you look at him in the offseason where teams are going to have more cap flexibility, um, and you're looking at, you know, he's been linked to New Jersey. I think New Jersey's a little bit out of the playoff picture as of right now. We'll see if they make any moves before Friday's deadline. I don't think they're in a position to buy 
Edmonton's getting good goaltending out of Skinner, so they're not necessarily in a position to go get one. Carolina's an interesting one with how bad their goaltending has been, but Freddie Anderson is back or is coming back uh, shortly. Shortly. Uh, so I think that they expect that to be kind of like their difference maker. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, he's playing really well, and I think that bringing him back for the remaining season is sending a message to the guys in the roster that they want to try to win and they don't want to completely tear it down, which I think is a good message for the roster. I think when it comes to Chris Tanev, this is going to be the last point we make before changing topics. But when it comes to Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom, to me, it reminds me of kind of rebuilding a culture. You mentioned it, and it kind of it sparked something in us. So we're both from St. Louis, for you, the those of you that don't know that are listening in. And the one thing that the Oscar Sunquist signing reminded us about is finding players that want to be a part of this organization and what they're building to. and you know, building for a better tomorrow, that could absolutely be what's keeping some of these guys here. Chris Tanev, if he doesn't want to play for Calgary, then get him out. Let's get a guy who wants to play for the Flames and wear that uniform. Same thing with Noah Hannafin. If he doesn't want to play in Calgary, get a guy in the uniform that wants to. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to be interesting, and Calgary's going to be fun to watch um, for, for the next years. They've gone through a lot since to Chuck and Goudreau, and they moved out Lindholm, you know, earlier Um before the all-star break. So they're definitely going to be a team to watch. Um, and that kind of leads us to our next kind of segment here, the trade deadline being a week away. Uh, and there's a lot of names that are intriguing on the board. So we thought we'd play a little game here. We're going to be listing off a couple of these guys that have been rumored in the trade deadline speculation. All these guys are going to get moved and kind of, you know, talk about that. But we've got five names here to work. By most people standard, the five like realistic top guys on the, on the uh, market. Um, and we're going to go through the our player player and, and ideal fit. We're going to start with St. Louis. Um, um, over there, there in Ottawa, so one year, I think four and a half, five million dollar deal over with the Senators. And the Senators have not been good this year. They kind of got on a little bit of the heater the last couple weeks to kind of get themselves out of the base of the division. They're still not competing for the playoffs. It's like the husband of Bryce Bob offensively. What, what team, team do you think he's for? So for me, you know, coming from St. Louis, I felt he should have ended up here, but he wanted to go to the Rangers. So I actually said that he should go to the Islanders. If you want to hear my take on the Islanders, make sure to go check out our TikTok, Tape the Tape Pod. But for now, I'm going to break it down on this podcast here. The New York Islanders have had a failed experiment with Patrick Wall behind the bench. After Lane Lambert didn't really do much in his tenure there as the head coach of the Islanders, they hired Patrick Wall, and it's been a field experiment. But when you look at the roster that's constructed around guys like Matthew Barzal and Bo, Bo Horvat, they are seriously lacking some wing depth that can score up and down the lineup. I mean, the fact that Barzal has to produce with guys like Paul Mary, who should be a third line or fourth liner at best, you know, Kyle Clutter, Clutterbuck, Matt Martin, these guys should not be playing with the guy as talented as Matthew Barzal. They need to get some depth in, depth in there that can score. Tarasenko, if you throw him on that second line or the first line and split up Horvat and Barzal and get yourself a top six that can produce, that third team immediately gets better. They are very much lacking goal scoring depth. And to me, getting Tarasenko in an Islanders uniform would be a huge get for their organization. I think for me... Um... It depends on um, where the Islanders see themselves. And I mean that, you know, when you're looking at the standings, they are seven points behind Tampa, 10 points behind Detroit. And in their own division, I think they're still sitting 
uh, seven if we find Philly or something like that. I don't know if they're going to be buyers. And I know what you're saying about like the fit. It makes a lot of sense when you're looking at trading for a midseason at the deadline for a rental when I don't see them chasing a playoff spot. I think that Tarasenko maybe signing with the Islanders in the offseason could be an option for them as well. They're going to have to rework their roster a little bit. Um, it all depends on where the Islanders see themselves. They haven't been playing great hockey. Um, I think it's a little early on Patrick Wall. He played like coach like 10 years ago. It hasn't been good. Um, I think most of the roster construction and the meeting guy, I think they can you know, help turn that around. I just as soon as I see them as buyers um, at the deadline. But Lil Emerald was just before with a lot of question roster moves, so it definitely couldn't happen. Uh, I've got to go. Um, this is a team that Mark Stone is actually just uh, coincidentally pulled out for the rest of the regular season, which means that he has a lot of cap space to use. And Gio Kevin has definitely not become a stranger to uh, using LTIR as a way to add a trade deadline. Uh, we've seen it in the past. We last year, Barbashev um, the base done in the past. There's been a lot of teams that have used that LTIR loophole to um, create cash to make acquisitions of the deadline. And obviously, so those injuries are serious. We wish him, you know, a speedy recovery from that. But I think Tarasenko adding scoring the warrior depth on the team that has been pretty inconsistent this year. They're obviously not the team in the West, but they haven't been as dominant as they were looking last year for parts of the season. And I think adding out like Tarasenko has got a great one key to great eyes for shooting the puck um, into their top middle six when Stone and Eichel will come back will help them reemerge themselves as one of the elite teams in the NHL. Yeah, you definitely make a good case with the Gordon Knights. And, you know, it'd be nice to see them reunite with Petro and Barbashev over there. Um, and they definitely have a roster that's meant to compete more than the Islanders. To me, it has everything to do with what are you going to do to try to make sure these guys want to stick around and are going to be able to win games. To me, that's a case to be made for the Islanders. While as he's a very intense coach, he is not going to be satisfied even if they're outside a playoff spot with not winning hockey games. But with the roster that's constructed that he has to coach every single night, I can say very surely that this is not a competitive team. They need to get their top six better. I think that uh, the Islanders are going to continue to be a broken mess until Lula Morello either retires, gets fired, or rolls over and dies, unfortunately. He's and, definitely given out some bad contracts. And, and he's done a lot of great things for the game of hockey, but he just has made some very, very bad decisions over the last couple of years. Giving Pierre Engvall and Scott Mayfield seven-year contract extensions last year was absolutely crazy. Definitely. I wouldn't necessarily consider Pierre Engvall a cornerstone piece for a competitive team, but, you know, I'm also not a GM, so... I guess if given Peter Engvall a seven-year contract is what it takes to be in the NHL, then uh, I mean it, we'll we'll see what happens with the Islanders. But uh, uh, we talked about Chris Tanev, who obviously got dealt uh, to the Dallas. His one of his other defenseman partners, uh, Noah Hannafin, has been on the block for quite a while. Um, and I've got a team listed here that up until like a month or so ago wasn't really in the buyer's spot because of cap restrictions, and they were actually playing pretty good hockey. But I've got no hand for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you're looking at Mikhail Sergachev being out the rest of the remainder of the regular season. And if not, if you're acquiring Hannafin, you can use his cap space to acquire Hannafin and keep Sergachev out for the remainder of the season and bring him back for the postseason. 
Uh, Tampa Bay's back end has just not performed as well. Tampa Bay as a whole has really been inconsistent and disappointing this year. Um, they're barely holding on to a wild card spot right now, but you're looking at a team that still has the four together. You know, Kucherov is playing at an unreal pace. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have probably like 140 points this year. Uh, one of the hard favorites, Braden Point, 30 goal score again. He's going to probably be close to 80, 90 points again this year. Uh, Stanfos is taking a step back. Angle has been streaky. Um, finally, you know, on a heater this year, the last like six games, like he's got point six straight games or something like that. But when you look at their back end, Hedman's still playing well. I think he's got sixty points in sixty games. And then after that, you're you're looking at at very disappointing numbers, even from Sergachev when he was healthy. He was only at like twenty points in thirty games. He's been in and out of the lineup, missed a lot of time. Uh, Chernak, more of a defensive guy, not really producing a ton on either end of the ice. They need someone who's going to be a difference maker, both when Sergachev is still out and he can come in um, when he comes back to be a top pairing guy with him. Um, we know that Tampa Bay doesn't care about draft picks. They're going to keep trying to toss them away and, and prospects as much as they can to win while uh, Stan Coast and Point and Kucherov are all together. And this could be the last year that was Stan Coast being a pending UFA at the end of the year. Um, so I, I've got Tampa Bay. I think they're going to be sneaky buyers at the deadline this year and try to, you know, bolster this core to get themselves back into the top three of the division. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning going after Noah Hannafin definitely makes a lot of sense with Sergachev being out. For me, after a recent rumor that I saw regarding the New Jersey Devils, I thought that fit made a ton of sense. You actually just did a video that's up on TikTok. Once again, make sure to go check that out. But when it comes to Noah Hannafin, they lost – well, let me back up a bit. The Devils currently are without Dougie Hamilton, and who knows when he'll be coming back. He hasn't even started skating again. And so with that, that's already a huge loss for a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations. They also lost Ryan Graves in free agency. Their team, yes, has had trouble scoring, but their defense has been terrible. And it does make you wonder if Vitek Vanishak and these other goalies that they have been trying out, Akira Schmidt, are actually that bad. Or is it more along the lines of their defense is that bad? Because without Dougie, who can eat up 20 to 22 minutes a night, every night, play on the power play, play on the penalty kill, that those are all traits that are very much needed in a Stanley Cup contender. Hannafin would bring that in, not to mention if Dougie is able to come back and they sneak into the playoffs in a wild card position, the Hannafin and Dougie Hamilton top line would just be absolutely ridiculous. Those are two very, very good defensemen that can play on the power play and penalty kill. They can both run the power play and penalty kill. Both have great shots in the offensive zone. Both are reliable in the defensive zone. I know, obviously, the cap constraints would probably be a bit tricky to work around, but I think a lot of teams are going to start seeing teams utilize that third uh, third organization to eat up some of the cap and then just throw you know, mid or late round pick away and I think a lot of teams that are going to start utilizing that. Yeah, I think we saw a couple teams do it last year. Um, and this year, I think we're definitely going to see more of it. I like the fit with New Jersey. Again, goes back to, are they going to buy? Do they see themselves as a potential team that can make a, a run for a wild card spot, given their certain injury situation and, and play as of late? Um, they're kind of a mess right now. They are only like five points back of a wild card spot. Um, and if any team, you know, that's not in the playoff spot right now, that could, you know, make a push. Um, it, it is them. They've got incredible forward talent with Hughes and Heischer and Jesper Bra playing incredible hockey this year. And I definitely do like the fit. Um, so that, that's an interesting one to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, this next player, we're, we got a little close to heart here. 
it, it's been rumored that Pavel Buchnevich uh, is being not necessarily shopped around, but they're getting a lot of calls on it. Uh, Doug Armstrong, as you and I are both very familiar with, is not afraid to make a move, make a move uh, uh, especially, especially with inconsistency his team is performing at this season. If Buchnevich is moved, which I don't think is a guarantee, we need you know, to touch on that as we're going through here. Where's your book? What you said about Tarasenko. I feel Buchnevich is exactly what they'd be looking for. Tarasenko, although very good in the offensive zone, does lack defensive reliability. Buchnevich, on the other hand, does not. Buch is one of the best 200-foot wingers in hockey. Getting him in that Vegas Golden Knights lineup would just be absolutely insane. They already have so many good pieces over there. Eichel was skating in a red jersey, which means that he could possibly be looking at a return soon. Um, you also got you know, a ton of young pieces over there that could use a guy like Buchnevich to help treat, uh, help locate, you know, defensive situations, how to play uh, the 2v1s and stuff like that when you're uh, supposed to be back-checking. Uh, not to mention the goal-scoring droughts that they've been on this season. Buch would be a huge help to them. More than likely, he wouldn't be playing on that first line. He would probably end up on that second line. But what he could accomplish with guys like Jonathan Marchessault and William Carlson – all 200-foot players, that line could be insane lockdown line. And to me, that's a that would be a huge get for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, goals in seven straight games for Buchnevich, by the way. So he's definitely heating up at the right time for Armstrong to potentially cash in on his value. Um, with Buchnevich, it's interesting because he's only at 5.8 cap hit, which is completely low for a player of his caliber. And he's under contract for another year after this. So the question remains for the Blues is, one, do you see yourself competing for a playoff spot this year? You're only five points out of a wild card spot. You've been inconsistent. You were holding a wild card spot for like a month straight before um, really falling off a cliff the last week and a half or so, um, losing like five of their last six or something like that. Um, so the first question is, do you trade Bucinovic at the trade deadline? I don't know the answer to that. You don't know the answer to that. I think I'm... If you would have asked me a day or two ago, I would have said, yeah, you're probably moving with the deadline. Now I'm kind of 50-50. I'm not 100% sure because the value could be the same, if not more, in the offseason given cap space situation because I don't think Armstrong is going to want to retain salary here. I think he's going to want to try to offload it all because they're still trying to competitively rebuild, which is why the team that I've got is Edmonton is an interesting fit because Edmonton's going to need salary retention until the offseason. I think Wichita should be a great fit in that top six over there. Um, Edmonton is... Um, one of the best teams in hockey. You've got two of the top five, top six players in the league in McDavid and Dreisaitl. Acquiring Buchnevich allows you to potentially keep Leon and McDavid together because you can play um, Buchnevich on the wing and you can um, pair him with Hopkins and Hyman if you wanted to do so. You can pair him with Vander Kane. Um, and I think that Edmonton's got a prospect pool that would intrigue the Blues because I think a lot of their like top prospects are NHL ready guys. Philip Rover currently in their NHL is one of their top defensive prospects. He's 22 years old. He's kind of been in the NHL in and out for a little bit. Um, defensive defenseman or offensive defenseman, um, former first round pick. That's the guy that I think our truck could come in. Dylan Holloway. Whether Edmonton wants to move Holloway or not, I'm not sure. But he's currently wasting away in their fourth line. And you and I both know we like Dylan Holloway quite a bit. He's, he's not, not a fourth liner. liner. He's, he's a guy, guy that at worst is a middle six forward, but he's got scoring upside. He's top. Jake Neighbors. He, he's, he's a lot like Jake Neighbors. Um, and I think he's probably got a little bit more scoring upside than Jake Neighbors as far as a shot. Um, so those are two names that could be interesting. I'm, I guess the interesting one is going to be where the cap situation works. Um, because again, I don't think Armstrong wants to retain salary at 5.8. I think he wants to try to rebuild his roster heavily in the offseason. 
creates the cap flexibility, bring in new new blood and kind of for um, playoff spot in next year. So that could also be extending Vucevic too. It depends if they want to give him an eight by eight, not harm they want to, but they have a little It could be a possibility. Because right now, Robert Thomas' contract is going to absolutely seal at 8.1 for the next eight years. He's playing like an $11 million player. So maybe you feel like you could splurge on a Mucinavich contract extension because you're saving Robert Thomas. I'm not sure. Yeah, definitely not sure on that. Uh, just giving my two cents on Booch and the, the St. Louis Blues situation. Trading Booch is definitely not something I would like to do. I'm also a realist. When it comes to... Signing Buchnevich, a guy who's going to be a 30-year-old by the time his new contract kicks in, if you're going to be giving him an 8 by 8 meaning that he's going to be 38 by the time his contract ends, unless you're Artemi Panarin or Sidney Crosby, most players are not performing to an $8 million level by the time that they are 38 years old. That is just, that is not going to happen. Crosby and Panarin are the exceptions to that. And I guess you could say Yager as well, but you know he's overseas, but he's he's still out there. So I guess you could throw him in there as well. But trading Booch to me is saving yourself a lot of heartache and misery when he's making eight million dollars with a no move clause. Probably by the time he's thirty eight years old, that's just not something that I would like to see. Now, if the Armstrong could find a way to talk him down to maybe like a maybe like a three or a four year extension at eight mil. That's 100% realistic to me, and I would 100% be willing to do that. But if we're talking another 8 by 8 contract for a guy who will be 38 years old with a no-move clause, to me, that's an unrealistic move. Trading him to a contender, letting other teams have this issue would be the better move for Armstrong and the Blues organization. Yeah, like as Blues fans, we're kind of a little pessimistic because we've just seen how bad this team has been for most of the year. And when they play well, like they did last night in Edmonton, they obviously lost the game, but they played a really good game. And Winnipeg, and outside Winnipeg. of that first period. It's frustrating to watch and not want to just tear the entire thing down. Buchnevich is a core part of this team, and he can be for the long term, but it depends on what you define as a long term. If you're looking at a window of three to five years, sure. I'm, I have no problem paying Buchnevich 7 to $8 million for a three to five year contract. I have a problem paying Buchnevich 8 to $9 million on a seven- or eight-year contract because I don't want him at 36, 37 making that cap hit. And we saw it back in St. Louis when David Backers was making that, that amount of money at, at getting up there at old age. And we've already seen it with some of our defensemen hitting the Gunnarsson, although Gunnarsson wasn't making eight. But, you know, you sign these guys who are going to be in their mid to early 30s and then their contract expires when they're in their mid to late 30s. It just it doesn't work out. And it's like that in pretty much every sport. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Armstrong's got a lot of decisions to make you know, with the Blues this offseason. You and I could go into it for forever, um, but we've got to move on to these other two names here. And another team that's kind of in a similar situation that the Blues are in, maybe a lot worse because their prospect pool is not nearly as good as Pittsburgh. Uh, aging core with lack of depth, and they're not playing good hockey. And Jake Gensel has been out for a couple weeks. He's going to be out till mid-March. He's been a name that's Floating around the uh, trade market, he's a pending UFA. He should be back, you know, a week or two after the trade deadline, which means he is available for uh, teams to acquire for a playoff push. And you and I both have the same team here. Yep. So, Jake and so to the Edmonton Oilers seems like a match made in heaven, if you ask me. Jake and so, if you were to throw him on a line with any of their top six players, rather that's Nugent Hyman, McDavid, and Dreisaitl or any combination of those, even Corey Perry and Evander Kane, that is 
one of the best top nines in probably NHL history. All all of those guys, all nine of them, would just be absolutely ridiculous. Genso is a great, great, great player for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I'd be curious to see how he would perform if he didn't have Malkin and uh, Crosby playing alongside him because obviously that makes things a bit easier when you have those two guys lining up on your same line or, for that matter, Brian Rust. But I would like to see what he would be able to accomplish in Edmonton. I think that would just be absolutely thrilling to watch. Yeah, I also have Edmonton on here. And again, it's going to come down to cap space for Edmonton if they're going to be able to buy. Pittsburgh is way more likely to retain salary than St. Louis, especially because it's only a one-year deal. As much as Kyle Dubas wants to keep the band together around in Pittsburgh to try to get a couple more, you know, cup runs with Crosby, Malkin, Latang before they all, you know, ride off into the sunset to their big fancy houses um, or become the general manager of the Penguins someday. I don't know. Or a coach uh, who, who knows. I mean, they're going to be recruiting for Hockey Canada and all of these uh, Olympic teams. Crosby is going to be the NHL version of Deion Sanders. Uh, but I, Edmonton's a natural fit. And you could say that for really any top six winger that has ability to score and and offensive playmake and Gensel. Again, like Bucinevich, he's going to be 30. What his next contract looks like, I'm not sure. So Edmonton's going to want to get him as a rental because I don't think they're a team that can really acquire him in, in free agency. I don't think they've got the cap space to give him, again, a five, six, seven-year deal for eight to nine million. They're a team at the deadline. I think they're going to be heavy buyers. They always are trying to acquire something at the deadline um, to improve their team, especially with them playing the way they are playing right now in Vancouver and Vegas, kind of playing up and down hockey. They've got a real chance to make a deep run. I like the fit with Edmonton a lot. But you could play any winger in Edmonton, and they play you know well over there with the playmakers. Look at Zach Hyman. He was in no way, shape, or form did I ever think that he'd be able to go 50 games into a season with 40 goals. Uh, I think there are a bit more than 50 games in the season, but the point still remains. He, I mean, he was good in Toronto, but he wasn't this good in Toronto. Yeah, I uh, wonder how Maple Leafs fans are, are reacting to the way he's performing right now because I hate to break I hate to break it to everybody. Hyman scoring 40 goals, making five and a half, six million dollars is way more impressive than Matthews scoring 52 at 12 and a half. That's not knocking Matthews' season because him scoring 70 would be the most impressive thing I think I might have ever seen in hockey. But Hyman's making half his contract and only has 11 less goals than the guy. So, I mean, Hyman's playing well. He's the main reason why. Obviously, you've got McDavid, right? I mean, duh, and dry side. But Hyman's been a massive motor on their power play um, in their offensive zone and, and lethal goal scoring. He's been fun to watch. Yeah, he gets into that dirty area. They, We were listening to the game, and they said, how many goals? It was like 15 to uh, 18 goals he scored right in front of the crease. He just gets into that dirty area and he he's able to put it on home. Um, but yeah, let's head into this next name here because I think this one's kind of an interesting thing. He's been on the move a lot, just like Tarasenko has. Frank Vetrano. I'll let you start this one, but where do you have him going? Vetrano uh, is an interesting name because similar to Hyman, I don't think anyone saw him scoring at the clip that he's scoring at this year. Uh, he's got 26 goals in 54 games, already a career high for him uh, in the goal-scoring department. I've got him going back to the Rangers, where he just left. They, they've required him a couple different times at the deadline to make deep cup runs, obviously. Have yet to reach there. But uh, the Rangers, similar to really any contending team or lacking middle six 
wing scoring. Their power play's been great. Um, obviously, Panarin's having a great season. Um, Trocek had a really good year. Lafreniere's kind of coming into his own. But this is a fit for me for a couple of reasons. One, because I think that the Rangers need middle six wing scoring and wing depth. But I also think that Anaheim would be a great fit for Kapo. If that the Rangers wanted to move off of him, you know, kind of get rid of the experiment, he's number two overall pick back in 2017, I think. Um, he, he hasn't played all that great. He's playing well as of late the last couple uh, weeks. He's playing at a deep clip, but for the most part, it's been really bad. Um, Peace and balance for him, a lot of inconsistencies. And I think that if the Rangers were wanting to acquire a second or third line center and a second or third line winger, they could package Adam Henry and Frank Petrano from Anaheim to the Rangers and get some kind of package around the Capitol back going back. That benefits Anaheim, Capitol Capital fits their timeline, it'll make a ton of money. And maybe him with the new franchise a little bit more younger. Egress, McTavish, Carlson, Terry, um, Carter Gauthier. Gauthier. Carter Gauthier, they acquired by this year from Philly. Could potentially help him resurrect his career. Um, and then the Rangers are going to be able to, to acquire veterans who can potentially help them chase chase a cup the next couple of years. Both Henry um, and Toronto, I believe, have term. I know what Toronto does. I think Henry's got one more year after this year. I could be wrong on that. So, again, the cap situation is going to be a little difficult to, to hurdle, but um, I think that that's why this is like a natural marriage for me with Toronto going to the Rangers. I love the idea of him going to the New York Rangers. In fact, I probably would have had that myself. However, looking at the history of the NHL, more times than not, when a player is adult and it's not like the team that they grew up with, they don't generally go back. And to me, that's why I decided not to go with the Rangers. To me, I decided to go with the Red Wings. I know many of you are probably going to question that move because you probably didn't expect me to say the Red Wings. But when you look at their roster and the heater that that team is on right now, I mean, they are playing out of their mind. Adding a goal scorer like Frank Vetrano, that could definitely elevate some of your players that are lacking in point production this season. Guys like Andrew Kopp, you know, Michael Rasmussen. Obviously, they've not really stabilized their lines a whole lot. They've had a lot of players in and out of injuries. But adding a consistent goal scorer like Vetrano, also a power play threat, I mean, he loves to shoot the puck. This season, I think we're seeing that more than pretty much any other season in his career. He loves to shoot the puck. And boy, can he snipe that crap on the power play from the point. I think Vetrano with the Red Wings would be awesome and exciting. And for a team that's had a lot of struggles over the last decade, pretty much since Iserman and you know, their team left. It would be very impressive to see uh, the Red Wings reach the Stanley Cup. Now, I'm not saying Vetrano is the person that puts him over the edge, but I think he definitely puts him in better contention and standing to reach that point. I just like the idea of Detroit being competitive again. It's good for the game of hockey, having a franchise with that much prestige back in the title picture. Not necessarily this year, but they've been linked to Patterson, who we're going to talk about here in a minute as a potential landing spot. If he gets dealt, they obviously have a great core and a really good prospect pool coming up. So they're going to be good for a long time. Their game against the Blackhawks and Patty Kane had the overtime winner was one of the best nights in hockey that I've personally been able to watch. Uh, so they, it, it's fun watching Detroit be good at, good at hockey. Um, and we'll see what they end up doing anything at the deadline. Yeah. Uh, moving on. So this would probably be our top topic. 
to talk about on this podcast. And then right before we actually started recording, some more news broke, which made this one of the most exciting topics that we could possibly talk about tonight. Um, why don't you start us off and tell us what that notification was? So if you've been living under a rock the last 72 hours, um, there's apparently been standstills and then renegotiations and then more standstills between the Vancouver Canucks and uh, Elias Patterson. Uh, if you don't know who Elias Patterson is, one of the best players in hockey. Um, and of course, for the heart. Check if the you ask me. Check out the TikTok. Um, and he's having a great season this year, over a point per game. Um, and he's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. And Vancouver has thrown him eight-year offers worth 11 and a half, 11 and three quarters, $12 million, 12 and a quarter, 12 and a half. And they haven't been open to him. And now that the trade deadline is on Friday, there is potential talk of a Elias Patterson deal. Now, before you guys send that clip and say that I think he's going to get up the deadline, he's not going to get up the deadline. But with this news of him still not potentially signing as they have had negotiations, you know, stall and he has given no indication that he wants to resign the term. Vancouver's kind of freaking out. This is their franchise cornerstone along with Hughes. He is just 25 years old, I believe. And he is one of the best players in hockey. And not coming to an agreement with one of their best players with his interagency is a little bit concerning. Uh, there was a report that came out by Freeman about a half hour before we started this podcast that uh, the Canucks and Carolina Hurricanes engaged in talks um, surrounding Pedersen, and then they, you know, those talks stopped as Pedersen, you know, wanted to go further in negotiations with the contract. Um, no package was reported. We can have our theories that we'll kind of go over. Uh, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on what the Canucks. I think we both think the Canucks should pay the man because he's one of the best players hockey. But, but if, if he doesn't want to sign the bank in the long term, what are your potential fits for him? I would say I think Carolina is the you and I both talked about, but there are some others. And what would the ideal contract for a team, both the Canucks and the team acquiring him, kind of contract would be happy for Pennsylvania? Well, first, loaded question. Um, but I guess if we're going to talk about that, I'm going to start with the contract. A contract for a player of his caliber with the salary cap going up. He's obviously one of the – he's obviously a great player in the league. I don't think anyone can deny that. But is he Austin Matthews? Is he McDavid? Is he, you know, is he David Pasternak? He's not. Now, he's great, but he's not at that level. But with the salary cap's going up, and so is the market, which makes this contract prediction a bit interesting. Now, if you ask me – a guy of Pedersen's caliber with the Canucks finally being the team that they should have been for, I would say, probably like the last two years. It's it's very interesting to see them not wanting to pay a guy who's their cornerstone piece for their offensive production, as well as their, obviously, the you said you have Quinn Hughes. I would say you got to pay him at least an eight, eight-year contract and probably worth 14 mil because expecting the salary cap goes up for the max contract. 14 mil seems rather reasonable. Now, would I personally pay him 14 mil? Probably not, because I don't think he's more valuable to an organization than Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. But it is a peculiar question. I want to get your take on that as well. Taking into account the situation Vancouver's in, 
I think he would sign for 13. I think that's what you're the number you're going to have to get at. And I know comparing him to Matthew's contract and McKinnon's contract and McDavid's contract makes it look like 13 mil is way too much. But like you mentioned, the cap's going up. And unfortunately for Matthews and McDavid and McKinnon, when they signed their contracts, the cap wasn't out. So I'm sure they can restructure and you know, get more money than you know, any other. As the cap goes up, you know, in two years when time is kind of narrowing down, for sure. Just how I touched on with Robert Thomas looking like a value at $8 million. He's a $10 million player. I don't think anyone can dispute that. And if you are, you haven't watched enough in those moves hockey. Pedersen's a $13 million player. He's a $12 to $13 million player. Matthews and McDavid are probably close to $18 million players at this rate. But unfortunately, when they sign their contracts, that's, that's not what the market value for the best player in, in hockey was. I think Pedersen's contract's probably going to be an 8 by 12 and a half to $13 million contract. And I think that would be from this day. I'm not exactly sure the reasoning for the, the negotiations and contract not being agreed to. I'm not necessarily sure if Vancouver not wanting to pay him or if it's Pedersen just not wanting to be in Canada. I know that we've seen a lot of U.S. foreign players not want to stay in Canada. Dude, Drone, to Chuck, were other ones. I'm not average. They were a mess. Uh, Patterson obviously not in the U.S. After all that stuff came out about Suter, let's keep in mind that when they left, Suter was the head coach there. Yep. But it's interesting. And maybe, you know, when you, when you and I were talking earlier today, Vancouver's got like $35 million in cash. 38. $38 million in cash space. Patterson's taking up. Let's just be 12 and a half. That's fair. Yeah. They've got Aronic to pay. Probably a seven to eight million dollar defenseman, especially if Hannafin's getting, you know, looking at a seven by seven. Aronic's a better defense or offensive defenseman and a better overall player than Hannafin, in my opinion. So I think that those contracts are going to be very close. You've got two thirds of your third line has been the best third line in hockey this year in Bluger and Lafferty and Dakota Joshua. Garland is still under contract. Um, you've got the Smith, who's going to be a free agent. You've got a lot of guys on that team that are going to have to find ways to resign if you want to keep this team together. So I think getting Patterson locked up first is why Vancouver's freaking out a little bit. Because if you don't know what you're going to, if you don't know what your cap is going to look like, you can't go look at these other pieces and try to resign them if your priority is Patterson. So they're trying to lock Patterson up now. That way, in the offseason, priority can be getting these other pieces locked up. Because if Patterson's not locked up, you have to focus on Patterson and risk losing some of these data pieces that are playing well. And I don't want to credit Patterson or Miller or Matthew, these top guys. Vancouver's been really good this year because their depth has been so consistent in scoring. Obviously, Bessler, Miller, and Patterson have been unreal. And Quinn uses the wrong way north at this point. But the depth scoring, Vancouver matches up with Vegas and Colorado so well right now because they can go for the lines when they're healthy. Not to mention Lindholm's a free agent for them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got a lot of things to make the roster. The first priority needs to be getting Patterson locked up. If for whatever reason a deal can't be made and a trade happens, let's touch on Carolina a little bit because I think you and I kind of have similar theories on this. Carolina's got a couple contracts that are coming off the books. They've actually got more than a couple contracts coming off the books at the end of this year. Sarah Biden, uh, Shea, uh, Pesci. They're all coming off the books. So they're going to have to potentially make it work for long term. Now, do they want to lose two of their top three or four defensemen? I'm not sure. But if they were to make a trade work, what would be your package in your Carolina that you would be offering to Vancouver? And I guess what would the offer be 
from Vancouver's side that you would need to accept the deal? Yeah, so we were after the report came out about how Carolina and Vancouver actually came to a form of an, ag- an agreement, we started talking about that because it, then it was decided that Pedersen wanted to stay and try to work and find a, a form of a contract to that benefits both the organization and himself. They were unable to reach agreements, but it was reported that contract talks were heating up quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so if we go to Carolina and we look at their roster and what they have, to me, I think that the piece that you're building around is one NHLer and one prospect. I think 100% Alexander Nikishin, one of the top prospects in hockey, a KHL superstar, is 100% going to Vancouver. As far as the NHL piece, I think you got to look at Martin Natchez and then to also balance out a bit of Pedersen's value and contract. I think you could also see Seth Jarvis going the other way um, and a first-round pick. When it comes to a player of Pedersen's caliber, it definitely makes an inter- a trade a bit interesting. Um, but you look at guys like Aho and Svechnikov over in Carolina, what adding Pedersen would do to that line that's already one of the best lines in hockey would just be – it would be unreal. That line would be compared with some of the best lines we've ever seen. Uh, Pedersen, top, arguably a top 10 player. Aho this season, you could definitely make a case for him being in the top 15. And then you got Svechnikov that went healthy. He, you can argue he's a top 50 player. I can't remember a time that we had three players all up there. Obviously, you got Landeskog, but Landeskog's more of a captain. He's not necessarily your top-line producer. He's just a great motor that keeps the team going. McKinnon and Rantanen are good. You also look back to the Bruins. Bergeron was really good. You had Marchand and Pasternak, and I think that's probably your line comparison. Uh but getting Pedersen to Caroline would be great. And I think that would also work out really well for Vancouver, a team that has, you know, they got a lot of contracts coming off the books, but that helps them fill out their depth a bit more. Because even if Hoglander never turns out to be what you think he is, if you add Jarvis and Neshis over there, that would just be, that'd be, I'm trying to think of a word that describes how great that could be. Because all three of those players are young. They both are going to make some money, but they're young enough where it's not going to be their primary source for contract unless they look to get, you know, like a Robert Thomas did. He wanted his contract earlier, so he got his extension, but it's not necessarily the money he could have got if he held out for one more year. So it kind of depends on their situation and what that looks like. But, um, yeah, let me ask that question back to you. Where do you think you could go? Um. I think the obvious fit, Carolina was one of them. The other one's Detroit because Detroit's got such a great prospect pool. And uh, unfortunately for Rebels fans, if you're trading for Pedersen, you're parting ways with Lucas Raymond and Axel Sandin Palika. And I don't think you guys should be disappointed in that at all. Um, and then and then some. I think we're undervaluing how much Pedersen could be worth. If you look at what Matthew Kachuk went through, he got traded for a 100-point player at the time top 10 defenseman in the league, top 15 at worst, where Weir was. And then a uh, top prospect in Cole Schwint and some draft picks. So Pedersen is a better player than Chuck was when Chuck got traded. Mm-hmm. Whether they're, I think Chuck probably a better player now. But also, it's did. worth noting that he's a center. Centers are much more valuable than a winger is. Yeah, 
And I think I think Pedersen and Tuchuk are on very like equal playing field as far as tiers of a player now. I think Pedersen is better than when Tuchuk was when Tuchuk got traded. So when you take that into account, plus you take into account that he's a center, you're looking at, for me, one of Jarvis and Natchez, for sure, 100%. One of Kakaniemi, Jack Drury, something to find ways to continue to make the cap work. I think you're looking at two top nine NHL players, Nikishin, another prospect, and some draft picks. And that's, I think, where the starting point is, if I'm Vancouver. I think that the non-starters are one of Jarvis and Neches, Nikishin, a first, and then another NHLer, and then some. And I don't know if there's a team that will want to do that. I saw Mike Barner post a hypothetical trade yesterday. Great guy. I'll follow him beyond hockey on all socials. He published a proposed hypothetical trade with the Rangers, where it was Zabanajan and Lafreniere, Gabe Perot, and another prospect, plus a draft pick. And if I'm the Rangers, I'm taking that every day, personally. As good as Gabe Perot is, he's not going to be Elias Pedersen. And Pedersen's better than Zabanajan is right now, and he's like five, six years younger. I think that's kind of like the package you're going to look at if you're if you're a team looking to acquire Pedersen. You're going to have to trade a really, really good NHL player, another solid NHL player, a top prospect or two, and then multiple draft picks. I think Detroit is probably in the best position to do that. You, I mean, you're probably looking at moving like Raymond, Comfer, Polika, some picks as a starting point. Uh, I like his fit as as – Evan mentioned in, in his TikTok on uh, tape tape page. We'll make sure you guys go follow that and check that out. The Wild are an interesting one where they could probably package one or two of their like elite prospects, maybe not Brock Faber, but you're looking at maybe a Marco Rossi um, and then a couple of their veterans pieces um, and some picks. It's going to be interesting. I think Detroit and Carolina are the two like dream scenarios as far as a team that's got the pieces that can be movable. Um, but it's going to be a race for what kind of package could look like for multiple teams if he does become available. 100%. A center is much more valuable than a winger. I said that. And although you may think our packages are too extreme, we're honestly being, in my opinion, that's realistically what Caroline would be looking to give up. Now, I think that you probably are on the more right track for what that trade that you know led to all of this was. I don't think they'd be willing to give up Natchez and Jarvis and um, I'm forgetting the other name that I just said. So I apologize. Lakishin, Cockneyemi, Drury. My bad. I'm, I'm scanning their <laughs> NHL roster and I'm like, none of these names are right. Yeah. Um, obviously, that my bad. That was a screw up on my part. Nikishin, which is funny because I actually just did a video on Nikishin who ended up being in my top three prospects that are unsigned. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think that's more along the lines. I think we're being very realistic with that. Um, but, yeah, I could definitely see that. I think Minnesota would definitely be an interesting fit as well. Uh, JEE has been spectacular for them, and I don't think that JEE would be enough to move the needle, but Rossi definitely would be. Um, they also have a few prospects I think that they could potentially move. I think the biggest thing would be the number of picks that they're moving to make that trade work. But I think – it would be very, very interesting to see Pedersen line up with Kaprizov and JEE and Matthew Boldy 
see what they could uh, come up with line combinations. It'd be it'd be fun to see. As much as I'd love to see him in Minnesota, and it's weird being a St. Louis Blues fan, but I'm from Minnesota, so I got lots of family and friends that are Wild fans. So that'd be insane. Pedersen in a Wild jersey. I just don't know if they have the NHL roster talent that Vancouver could be looking for. Like, are you going to throw up Ryan Hartman and Matt Zuccarello? Like, I don't think that's a needle mover for Vancouver it's at not. all. Marcus Foligno, like you're like Brandon Duhame, <laughs> like you're looking at some really poor names. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so they would have to rely a lot on the, one of their top farm systems. I think they're a top five or six farm system right now in, in prospect pool and in, in the NHL. And um, they've got draft picks and they've got young players that could, you know, move around. But it's going to be interesting to watch for Pedersen for sure. And speaking of the wild, our last segment is talking about uh, the Calder race. And Bedard obviously just came back from a jaw injury. He's playing well. The Blackhawks are look more competitive, still not winning a ton of games because they're a fucking mess. But Connor Bedard was out for about a month-ish. Um, not going to play a full season, probably going to be on 60, 65 games this year. Brock Faber of the Minnesota Wild has been insane. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they acquired him in the Kevin Fiala trade. They got him in a second-round pick from the Kings for Kevin Fiala a couple years ago when Fiala was dealt as an RFA. Um, and Brock Faber has been fantastic. In 59 games, he's got 34 points, 30 assists, 4 goals. He's a plus 2. He's fifth on the team in points, and he's averaging 25-plus minutes a night, which is absolutely unheard of for hardly any defenseman, especially a rookie. That's the thing that gets me with Brock Faber. When it comes to rookie defensemen being able to put up 25 minutes a night and thrive putting up 25 minutes a night goes to speak limits to how good this guy really is. He's playing on the power play. He's playing on the penalty kill. This guy has been an absolute workhorse back there. He honestly reminds me a lot of a guy like Erasmus Dahlin when he first came into the league. A guy who can put up those minutes and you you don't necessarily expect him to, but you know that he can. And then when he produces on the ice, the minutes just keep continuously builds and builds and builds. And then you're like, holy crap, we got ourselves a future superstar defenseman back here. And it's a bit different for Faber than it is for a guy like a Darlene or a Heisken. And it was a top five selection in the draft. But what Faber has lived up to is unbelievable. And then as far as Bedard goes, now I think we can say with full confidence, if this guy busts, then no one knows a damn thing about hockey. <laughs> so, you and know, it doesn't look like he's going to. I mean, the guy's no, been unreal. No, I mean, and if you look at the uh, since his return to the ice, the Blackhawks. I mean, keep in mind they're not even over five hundred percent since <laughs> he's came back, but they were on really long droughts of not winning any games, and at least they're competing with teams now. They were getting blown out when Bardard was out. Bardard comes back and immediately, or if they're losing, they're competing. They're not getting blown out. And it's not like this roster is super talented. It's I mean, you, horrible. Yeah, Especially, I mean, you're looking who's Bedard playing with right now? Bavillier and Anthony the CU. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> like the guy they brought, Felino, I think, is playing a lot with him. Yeah. Like the guy they brought in to pair with him got hurt in the first month and a half of the season in Taylor Hall. They're, I mean, they're, they're not a good team. They're one, six, and three in their last 10. They've lost four straight. They've got a minus 85 goal differential <laughs> on the year. <laughs> they are not a good hockey team. The only team that's worse than goal differential is the Sharks at minus 102. That's not a good hockey team. But what Bedard brings to the Blackhawks is not just his skill. I mean, the guy's been insane this year. He's 
at a point per game close. I think he's got 45 games and 40 points this year. He's averaging 19 minutes a night. He's got 23 assists, which the fact that he's been able to just have 23 assists to the goal scorers on that roster is impressive to me. Freaking Dickinson and Flingo and all the guys that are historic scorers. Yeah. But he is what he brings on the ice just with his confidence and his leadership ability at such young ages is crucial for this team. Um, He's going to still win the Calder. It's unfortunate for Faber that he just happened to be a rookie in a class that had the greatest prospects since Connor McDavid. Um, and, you know, obviously Faber was drafted a couple years earlier, but it took him a couple years to get into the league. I think he played like three games last year on a tryout game. Yeah, the Kings had, you know, they had a plethora of defensemen back there. So it took him a little bit and then he was dealt. So he had to work his way and get his reputation to where it needed to be to make an NHL roster. So we're all happy to see him succeed. I mean, well, as Blues fans and not necessarily either of these guys who want to succeed, but as hockey fans, you know, this is good for the game of hockey. It would just be the most St. Louis Blues fans thing for the Blackhawks to finally suck after having Tabes and Kane ruin our lives for a decade and then for them to suck and then get the greatest player since Connor McDavid to come out in an entry draft and ruin yeah. our lives. 100%. The Red Wings cannot get another <laughs> player to between those two, we're talking like three decades of torment and torture of not being good enough. And, you know, we don't want that, but it's all good fun. I mean, you got to you gotta admire how much great talent that you and I are witnessing right now. I mean, Bedard, what he is able to do, his hands are so fast. I mean, I remember watching a play before he got injured where I didn't even realize that he went between the legs on a play. Like, his hands are that fast. The fact, I didn't even notice that. And he pulled off the... He pulled off the Michigan against the Blues, and that hurt, at me, that hurt me in the soul. <laughs> it was really bad. It was cool to watch. Like, yeah. but sitting here, like, of course, it had to be against us, right? I will say, and I think you and I can both agree to this: if they somehow get Macklin celebrating, we are screwed. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like our center depth in St. Louis is so bad. Robert Thomas would have to stay on the ice for the entire game to defend those two because he's the yeah. only centerman that was worth a, you know, has a chance. Um, I do want to transition to Brock Faber and make this point before we go ahead and wrap this show up. But Brock Faber, as we mentioned, is playing 25 minutes a night. He's producing at about a half point per game clip. It's probably going to be around 45 points roughly this season, which is really good for a rookie defenseman. He's also doing this without two of their best defensemen. Spurgeon's been in and out lineup. He's out for the year. They got rid of Matt Dumba in the offseason. Dumba's not been good at all for the Coyotes. But he's paired with Jonas Brodeen, who has been really this year, but the Brody's not a top line defenseman. So he's doing this on a back end that's got, you know, Middleton and Brody and Alex Goldoski. And I don't know who else they've got back there right now. They've rotated a lot of guys. Uh, John Merrill. Um, it's not a good defensive unit at all. And Faber is carrying the load. And that's super impressive for a kid at his age in his first full season in the NHL. Um, they've got a lot of young talent in Minnesota. You know, Rossi's producing at about a half point per game clip. Kaprizov's fantastic. Erickson X, not even that old. I think he's like 27 or something like that. Um, they've got that uh, guy from the KHL that just got called up. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because it's ridiculous. Um, but he just got uh, he just got signed an entry-level contract. You've got Walstead coming up and Golden Wild. They're going to be fun to watch. The Central Division is definitely an interesting one because you've obviously got Dallas and Colorado, who are wagons, and Winnipeg is having a great year this year, too. And you've got a lot of young talent from, you know, Chicago and Arizona and Minnesota, and 
We'll see what Nashville and St. Louis does. They're kind of stuck in the middle of that division. I think St. Louis has got some great young talent. Um, obviously, Robert Thomas has been a superstar this year. Kyrie's been good. Uh, then you've got Snuggeru and Dvorsky and a bunch of other young players coming up. So it, it's a fun division. It's definitely highly competitive, and I can't wait to see where it goes, you know, over the next five years. For sure. All right. Um, to wrap this up, make sure to check out all of our socials. Tape the Tape is our ex Tape the Tape pod on Instagram. And then our YouTube, Tape to Tape Hockey. I am Evan. I am Josh. There you go. (laughs) Signing off.